Okay, one second. Okay, cool. We are live. Well, thank you everyone for joining. We have an exciting webinar in front of us, buying an investment property. Specifically, I'm going to be talking about the Bay Area, some of the opportunities that we have and what others are doing in this environment. And before we go through that, it's going to be important to know who am I, am I a little bit of my experience, what is actually happening with the market as we speak today. So we're going to be looking at the stats of it in real time. So all of this is as recent as it gets. And then we're going to be talking about questions, people, the framework that people are having, but also what are ways to invest and to participate in this uh, current market. So you can follow me on any of my social media. Some of you are already following me. So I appreciate that. You can follow me on YouTube. I have a channel about living in the Bay Area. And then certainly my Instagram, first name, last name, R-E. Uh, a little bit about me and the team. So we've continued to grow our team now. We have over 10 people as part of our team. Uh, we are Bay Area natives ourselves, husband and wife team. I do real estate. My wife does the lending side as a mortgage broker. A little bit about me, though. First decade of my career was in technology sales. And eventually, I got into real estate through investing and through flipping homes. So I got to understand all the different things that are happening on the back end, cost structures, different financing options, but also when it came to just general cost estimates of what it'll take from getting it from one condition to another condition. Fast forward to the previous year and last year, 2021, we helped 57 clients with their moves for about 74 million in production in the Bay Area. In the last year, we continue to increase even though the market as an overall has uh, shrank during that time. So we're very fortunate to be in the top 1% in the country. Now, before we can even talk about real estate and investing and these different things, we got to figure out what the heck happened last year and where are things potentially going to go? Now, so let's take a look at the data itself. So if we look at the data, I'm going to share with you what has sold and the things that have happened throughout the year. Now, we're just talking about price. And so price is a factor and is influenced by several different things. A big part of the influence is by uh, mortgage rates, and which is, has been impacted by what the Fed has done, which has also been impacted because of what inflation has been. So we'll talk about history and we'll talk about like future. Now, if you take a look at Santa Clara County as an example, you can see we're going to take a look at single family condos, townhomes, just as a group asset together. And we'll take a look at median prices of the last 12 months. In the last 12 months, the, the unfortunate peak was about April timeframe, right? April timeframe was about $1.61 million in terms of the medium of all condos, townhomes, single family, all merged together. The lowest point was in the December timeframe at 1.3. Now, if you do that math, what is that decline? It's $310,000 decline. That's equivalent to about, what, 20%, something like that. So it's been about 20% decline. Now, you can also see a little bit of a tick up. January figures have ticked a little bit up versus the December figures. And so why is that? There are a few catalysts and a few things. And, and I have a few predictions as to what will happen this year, too. Number one, interest rates have no longer been increasing. 
if you actually look at interest rates and you look at just, I mean, you're going to get different quotes all over, but high level as a whole, averages are different, right? So interest rates actually peaked in the November timeframe at 7.08, 7.1%. They are currently at 6.33%. Now, to be fair, jumbo loans and things like that, you can still get them in the fives. Um, the one, some conforming loans may be around this number, if not a little bit higher, but roughly as an average of the industry, you can see we have already dropped by about 10% from the peak of things in November. So there's a combination of that. There's also a combination of, quite frankly, it's been this way really for two months now, right? It's been up and down slightly by 0.1%. It hasn't been these kind of drastic, you know, increases that we have seen throughout the months. And so those are causing a lot more confidence of people to get back into the market. Now you may be saying, Spencer, you're such a just proponent of people buying, you know, we have all these people losing jobs, all this stuff and, and this and that. The reality of jobs is if you look at the numbers of most of those companies, while there have had layoffs and I'm not discouraging there or, or not acknowledging that, if you compare against that versus like pre-COVID, there's significant job growth in a lot of those companies. And so there's actually a lot more jobs that have occurred during that time. So you have that as a, as a fact, as a fact. The other fact is you have evidently started seeing is that a lot of people are now moving back to the Bay Area or being closer to work as because now the labor market isn't as tight as before. We're seeing a lot more return to office mandates. You see that across the board, and you're going to likely see more of that. It may, it's not a five-day-a-week thing. It's still a, it's likely a three-day-a-week thing. But I even have people, clients from Lyft that have come back to the Bay Area, um, and they've been pretty flexible for some time. So we're going to continue to see a lot of that occur in terms of the reassessing of companies of, I don't think this remote full remote thing is really working. We're probably going to want you back at least a couple of days a week. And so people are, are heading back. So you see a lot of these different things and we'll ultimately see how things play out. But a big part of this change is in the, a part of why there's so many people on this call, a part of a lot of conversations that are happening is as long as the rates are like more stable, I'm not saying it's gonna drop like low, but it's just more stable. It's easier for then people to reassess Right. Like imagine if you were buying during this period. Right. And it kept increasing very aggressively. I mean, if the unless the prices were able to adjust that quickly, which quite frankly, they did. Um, but most people psychologically couldn't digest it. Right. Because it's all just a math equation. They're like, oh, interest rates are too high. Oh, this and that. And so if the rates are and they're likely to be relatively similar to what they're at now. It's just easier for everybody to assess whether they, they should be making a move or not. So these are all very important, and it's important to see the trends. Now, the other thing that's very helpful, because a lot of people are complaining, oh, home prices are actually a lot higher than pre-COVID. The answer is no, they're not. So anyone that has that as a, has that as a saying or a mantra, it's always good to see the data so that you can see for yourself, well, is it still actually much higher than pre-COVID? Not in the Bay Area. You can see in the Bay Area, if you're looking at like March 2020, it was at 1.21 million. Right now, and in, in January was a little bit higher, but let's say January was like 1.31. You're only like 100,000 over, which is 
8% more than that number. So we've, because of the big interest rate increases throughout the year, uh, most of those gains have unfortunately been wiped out. Now, people are on this call because you're thinking as an investor and you want to participate as an investor. And so at the end of the day, we don't control it because quite frankly, a lot of people that even bought at these, at these numbers had a, a pretty good rate. So their monthly may be very similar even to today, right? Depending on what rate they got. But the question is, are there any opportunities, right? Like what are the people thinking of? Uh, yeah, what are the people thinking of in terms of options in this time? Now, anyone that's an investor should always have a few things to consider, right? You want to consider what is your time frame and your duration? If you are very risk adverse and you don't really want to make these kind of short, short bets, what some people are doing is they're putting into like uh, short-term treasury yields, right? I mean, you see that happening quite a bit. That's why you see a lot of movement away from stocks. Um, so that's important. It's about understanding like your overall portfolio and then deciding where you may want to spend money or divest or invest. Because as I mentioned, if you're trying to flip a home, I, I would say the timing over the next couple of months is going to be interesting, but it's not that clear. And remember, if you're flipping a home, the challenge of a house flip is you are you have a cap of when you have to exit. And that's why house flipping is very, very difficult right now. And a lot of those big companies that did house flipping, you look at like Open Door, you look at like Redfin Now, you look at OfferPad, right? Those big companies that do this house flipping on a macro level are all having huge problems because they, have, they can't just hold it, right? They have to sell it very quickly. That's the whole business model. The whole business model is by pure transactions. And so they're in a very difficult bind right now. And, and so I'm not suggesting any of these are in that kind of flipping game. If you want to do that, I'm certainly able to help you do that. But I don't think there's too many of those opportunities right now. Because really, real estate is going to be mostly a, uh, is not a liquid asset, right? It's not meant to be flipping it in that kind of manner. Now, there are, of course, opportunities and deals out there. But to be fair, most are not that accessible. As in, if you want to be able to take advantage of someone in distress, which there are people in distress, a lot of people reach out directly to them. And they do that by just pure mass volume. So a lot of the house flippers that I know that have been successful they mail out tens, if not hundreds of thousands of mailers a month to those that are potentially in distress. That's a lot of capital to invest in potential pro projects just to have conversations. Now, we're not doing any of that, so that's not going to be too much of a viable option either. Next few questions. Uh, I mentioned about the, the diverse diversity, diversification side of your portfolio. Like, how does that look? I mean, a lot of people try to, what I find interesting is a lot of people try to time markets and they're like, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to keep waiting and keep hoarding cash. And one day I'm going to be able to buy real estate or I'm just, the market is tanking in real estate. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to hold on to whatever I've been doing. And the unfortunate thing is if you actually look at it, almost all assets have declined kind of the same, right? I mean, look at stocks from the, from the peak of things. It's been about the same decline, 20, 25%. You look at real estate, similar. You look at crypto, God forbid. Uh, sorry uh, for many of those that may invest in crypto. It's been horrific, 
Um, and so, and, and never mind even tech companies, right? Tech companies have unfortunately done far worse uh, than just the general S&P market. And so the question then is, if all of them are either going up the same or going down the same, the question is, are you just well balanced? And does adding real estate as part of the portfolio make sense to you? Do you actually have proper exposure? And I bring this up because many of you that are watching may not even own a property. Now, fortunately, many of you that are watching are already clients. So uh, I, I appreciate that side of things. But some of you are just like on the fence, right? You may be renting, you may be just considering. So this is a good conversation for you too, is if you don't even own property right now, um, the key for a lot is to stop the bleeding, which is rent. And rent has certainly continued to, it hasn't increased as much, but this year has still continued to increase. Because think about this, if you were a buyer and you no longer are buying and you have a lot more people returning back to the office, what happens with the rental market? It just means a lot more people are now competing for rental space. They actually still have the money. They still have jobs, still have high paying jobs. They still have the money. They have the liquidity. They're just now renting and, and paying whatever the market rent and market rate is for that. And so for most, the very first thing is, do you even have your own property? If you don't, that's something that you probably should strongly look into and consider because of this aspect of losing money from the rent side of things. So key is like many, stop paying a landlord, pay yourself. Many of you guys have done that already, but if you haven't, that's an option. And in a down market, there are different opportunities to be had, right? In a down market, you can buy with less money down because you're competing with less people. Your terms are not as critical and as important when you're competing against five, 10 people. These are all the different things that are there when it comes to thought process. But let's say you do own property and you already have a home. So many of you guys already have a home. And so you're now thinking what to do next. So you have several different options of investing. Now, how do you decide, right? How do you decide the Bay Area? How do you decide outside the Bay Area? How do you decide uh, out of state, right? Now, historically, people are buying out of state because they just hear of cash flow and they just go after that one measurement. Now, that's important for some people. But just like many stocks, and you guys are all living in the Bay Area, at the end of the day, that's not necessarily the only measurement to have in the Bay Area. Just like if you value stocks or value companies, you don't just look at how much dividends they give to you. You ultimately look at uh, what is their expected growth, right? What is their actual appreciation? At the end of the day, your total returns is a combination of appreciation and a combination of cash flow. And it's a total amount relative to how much money you're putting in. And so knowing this and knowing that's the game, it's important to have a framework of, okay, what are the goals? Where are you in your life and in your career and in your journey? Do you want appreciating assets, which Bay Area historically is for its own reasons? Or are you wanting something with cash flow? If you want something cash flow, like pure cash flow, I have a few suggestions for you. Obviously, you can look out of state. And we'll go over some areas, even within the Bay Area, to look into. But if you're going after appreciation, I want you to see this stat. Did you know that Palo Alto actually has 50% renters? It's actually some of the highest renters in the, in, the, in the country. So on one end, you can think of it, oh, wow, there's a lot of people paying a very high amount in rent because of schools and locations, which is the case. 
But the other thing is, the reality is, a lot of people in Palo Alto, because they own a place in Palo Alto, that's somebody's a landlord, actually own multiple homes in Palo Alto, right? Like, that's incredible. And so there's a lot of people that way. Like, I know somebody that owns 10 homes in Palo Alto. They're not like fancy homes. They're just more of the ones that that are entry-level starter homes. But it's like the accumulation of time, right? That's the thing with investing. It's This is not a get-rich-quick thing. We're not flipping it and instantly making a ton of money. It's to invest, stick with it, and then keep allowing that to grow. So the reality is like a lot of these good areas like Palo Alto uh, just don't build anything. And so if you're going to want to get into that market, especially in different types of assets, that's all that there is. And so very, very important, very good to note, like even as expensive of a place like Palo Alto, a lot of renters now and, and a lot of multiple homes. So then the question is, that's kind of one option. If you want to chase more appreciation, then then the option is places like San Mateo County, places like Santa Clara County. If you want more cash flow or maybe more of a balance, what happens is that places like Alameda County is has more of that balance. And so why is that the case in the Bay Area? Like why does Alameda County, Contra Costa County have more cash flow or can more likely break even than places in San Mateo County, Santa Clara County? The answer is kind of simple if you think about it. Rent doesn't go up as the same percentage of housing growth. And there is always floorings of rent. There's also caps of rent. So let me explain. So if you get a home in, let's say, San Mateo, a $2 million single family home in San Mateo probably rents for maybe $5,500 a month, something like that. So it's 5,500 bucks for a $2 million home. You can do that math in terms of cash flow. Evidently, very big negative cash flow, but it is what it is. Because you have plenty of people that are willing to still buy that pushes the appreciation up. So generally, appreciation is much higher in those areas than it is in uh, other areas. Now, if you look at Alameda, let's look, look across the bridge. Let's say you go to Hayward, a Hayward home. Let's say it's a million dollar Hayward home for single family. That actually probably rents for $3,300, $3,400 a month, right? Because at the end of the day, there's always floorings of how low things can go. And there's also just ceilings, right? That's why I mentioned. So just because the value is now cut in half, you can see the, the ratio of rent to purchase is a lot closer. And if you go further out, like Contra Costa, or you look at multifamily, then it, 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 it shrinks even more. So some of the areas that you may consider, if you want more of that balance in the Bay Area, you go for places a little bit further out. So I have many clients that own multifamily in Alameda County. I have many clients that own for more cash flow in Contra Costa County, places like Antioch, as an example, for like duplexes, right? A duplex, I hope my clients buy roughly around 700000 rents for 4500 a month. You can see just how much it, it can get closer and... and, and um, in, in either cash flow or, or break even. So those are some options for those that may want to consider there. And so the key about your search, right, is at the end of the day, every area in the Bay Area and every area in the country will always have its band of prices. The question is, how much do you plan to invest and want to use? 
and then just finding suitable options relative to your budget. And that's the name of the game to be able to understand where should you even consider, right? It's not like you can consider the entire Bay Area as an example. Based off of your budget, you'll be able to determine the suitable spots. So let's talk about strategies then, right? What are strategies that I personally see my clients do? What do I see others doing in this time? Because we are a whole lot farther away from the top than people are saying that we are. I mean, we've dropped by 20, 25% already since the top of things. So we're probably closer to the lower parts of the middle or the bottom than the top, given where we're at. But nevertheless, there are still approaches. You have a few options. Number one, buy in good areas. So over time, good areas are the ones that actually tend to decrease the least, but they're also some of the first to go up. And why is that? They are that way because if you had X dollar amount, and you have the ability to get into one city because of work, because of commute, because of family, because of whatever the reasons are, you would certainly want to get in there first instead of the secondary options, right? And so what happens is that these good areas, like a Palo Alto, like a Mountain View, like a Cupertino, like San Mateo County, these good areas tend to recover and hold their value more than other areas, so that is a viable strategy some people are doing. I'm helping a client that just uh, is, is coming back to the Bay. You know, she was looking at, I only want to be in nice areas. I like, I want to be in San Mateo County. They just don't build much houses there. It's a little bit more spread apart. Uh, I like my, my mixture of housing and like nature. There's only so many homes in each city. So that's a, that's a strategy to be mindful of. Next. What some people are doing now is value add opportunities, right? What are projects that you can do that, that take longer, but, but can provide more of that buffer? And a lot of times that buffer tends to be building things. The more you can build, the more potential equity that you can have in place, whether it's doing an expansion, whether it's doing an in-law unit separately, whether it's, it's doing what they call now with SB9, you can split lots. Now, each of them have its own time duration. Each of them certainly have its own cost. But the more that you can build, the more likely you are to be able to, to have equity in place and to gain equity. So think about this, right? And just do some quick math with me. How much is the cost of construction today per square feet? You can use a general estimate. Let's say it's 350, 400 per square feet, even in, in very nice areas. Let's just say that's a general range. Of course, the bigger it is, the, the cheaper it is. But um, how much do homes typically cost per square feet? Right? Take a, you know, you can reach out to me. Every city will have its range. But let's say the average for a lot of the very good areas is maybe a thousand per square feet. So this is a really good opportunity where you can buy in a good area. You can either renovate it inside, which is the least amount of work. You can add to it or do an in-law unit expansion. That will take nine months to a year, or you could go with something even much longer. So like splitting lots and then building a house, that's a multi-year project, but that's also something that has the biggest upside, right? Because now the use of your land, while the land is valuable, most of the calculations for a lot of homes are typically more per square feet, right? That's why we always say price per square feet a lot. There's no really price per lot square feet, like people are not doing that. Now, they do value lots as more, but it's still a price per square measurement. And so 
that's also a big opportunity that I'm helping some clients on. Now, to be fair, that requires a lot more time. It requires a lot more capital. But some of the opportunities, even for SB9, is that some people are just doing the work to split it. And then once it's split, they may already just sell that land that's ready to be developed. And then someone else can do it, right? So you don't actually have to take it through the whole journey because the value of it is potentially also the ability to do it. Now, the ability does take time because you have to do plans, work with the city, utilities. There's all these different things that need to be done. And it's a newer process. So a lot of cities are just starting this now. But a lot of architects are a lot of, uh, yeah, especially architects, they're using this as a really big opportunity to do it themselves or partner with investors on these. And then when it comes time to build, they can then reassess, okay, how much will you pay me for this piece of dirt right now? All right, I can either take that or I can build it myself and then sell it afterwards. So really interesting, right? These are really, really uh, interesting projects. And the reason why this is a good time for these is because prices are down, because but they're also a longer term duration, right? And so generally over a longer period of time, it's more likely for things to go up. And so when you deal with these larger projects, you're not just dealing with more time, but you're also dealing with more real value at equity because you're adding more square footage to the home. And so that's the, that, those are the projects uh, that are very, very interesting of what I see. Now let's talk about it, right? What are the benefits of this market? The reality is competition is, is way less than it was before. That's why prices have gone down. It, it means there's less buyers out there. That's, that's the whole reason of why prices are down. And so it's just a better buying experience. There's more deals to be had. Uh, some of the people are not even focusing on these investments anymore. Like there's a lot of people that were looking at those two projects before, but now they're like completely like mind shifted out. So now there were not, there's still valuable projects. It's just less people thinking about it. As I mentioned, you can buy with more discounts and potentially seller credits. It's also a good time to just like reassess. Like some people actually, especially those that work in tech that are watching, I mean, just think about it because you also want to have a realistic uh, expectation in a realistic assessment of how has your portfolio done? So some people, even though they may have bought at quote unquote the peak or on a higher time of things, they probably had to do something to get that money into it. So for example, they may have to sell stocks and they may have to sell tech stocks, right? Like imagine anyone that worked at Meta, that worked at Alphabet, that worked at Tesla. Like if they sold their stocks either in past November, or if they sold their stocks, even during the April timeframe to buy a house, they were actually way better off, especially those at Tesla. They were actually really far better off doing that. At least when we look at, if we look back in hindsight, if you really want to cherry pick, uh, then to keep it and go through like the 50, 60% decline. So like at the end of the day, it's like, it's about just assessing your portfolio. Like, are you divested in different ways? Is this a, a bet that you want to make? The benefit of this bet, it's a little, it's more hands-on. You do have a little bit more control over that bet versus to be fair, there's not a whole lot of control that you have of, of most of these stocks outside of buying and selling, but at least you can do some value add to it. So that's, that's part of the reason why I see people doing this. And the last but not least, rent actually has not um, declined too much. Uh, it didn't decline actually at all. It actually increased. 
and rent is probably expected to continue to increase for those that are buying investment properties. And so what's interesting is even during recessions, rent doesn't actually typically drop a whole lot. I would, you should look into the data and see for yourself. I didn't pull one up for this one, but rent typically does not drop because all those buyers or those people that are forced to sell, they're just renting now. So the pool doesn't change unless a lot of people are actually leaving. And so those are some of the benefits and opportunities. All right. I've been speaking a lot. I'm going to catch my breath, um, but love to have any questions or comments. If you want to talk privately about your situation, you can send me a text, give me a call, but feel free to leave any comments in the chat box or you can unmute yourself and I'm happy to address them. If you're trying to ask a question, remember, unmute yourself. We'll give this one more minute. Otherwise, we will wrap up for the evening. And of course, you guys can just message me for a, a private conversation anytime. And we can go over what your thoughts are and, and, and go from there. Okay. Thank you for asking. What are so, so Nathan asked, what are some good market areas right now? I mean, as I mentioned before, when it comes to areas, it just depends on goals and depends on budget, right? Depending if your budget is a million dollars, there's a specific game plan that can be done for that. I would probably say look into uh, maybe some multifamily out in like uh, East Bay or, um, or Contra Costa County. I think those are all viable options right now. Um, those are good viable options. If your budget is higher, then you can do some of these other like longer term projects in-law unit construction, uh, split lots, um, those would be the, the thoughts. So it all depends on budget, uh, timeline, like willingness to do some of this work, and then there'll be a game plan associated with that. Um, hey, Spencer, Tamil here. Um, really great presentation. Thank you for this. Um, quick question. So what are your thoughts on buying an investment property that can pay for itself uh, in the sense like uh, the rent is good enough for it to, uh, you know, pay your monthly um, EMIs? Yeah, so no, it's a very fair thing. And that's the whole idea of some people wanting to uh, focus on those areas that have cash flow. Right. And whether they're in the Bay Area, which there still are, mostly it's going to be like in Contra Costa County or its areas outside of the Bay Area. Um, it's not a bad approach. Right. Like the, at the end of the day, it's depending on what measurement you want, you're going after. Is it appreciation? Is it um, is it uh, cash flow? Is it a hybrid? Right. Those are all personal decisions to make. And then you, you go with whatever the approach is. Now, some people say, look, I like the Bay Area because I like the growth prospect of things. Ultimately, though, it's going to be um, like, I like the growth prospects, but I want to be here, but the cash flows numbers may not work as well. And so what some people do is they may put more money down, right? They may put more money down to minimize some of the cash flow that would be because... Certainly, the more money you put down, the, the different your mortgage is, 
So it really just depends on um, how bullish you are of the area, your objective and goals. And then, like I said, goes back to budget. Like what is the budget that you're able to work with? And, and then that's, that's the approach. One interesting thing, like give you an idea, like I've helped some clients buy a, um, some, some duplexes and stuff in Antioch. Right. And what was wild is uh, there are one owner owned like the whole street. Like it's just amazing. Right. Like they literally owned a whole street because there's a whole street of duplexes and they're just kind of selling it one by one. So the reality is, as you can see, there is a game plan for people like back to my story. There's some person that owns 10 homes in Palo Alto. They're not the 20 million dollar homes. They're all those three million dollar entry homes. They just keep adding them up. Right. Just throughout the decades, just keep adding time to time. They didn't buy all at once. So this is not a move that we're I'm suggesting anybody just you're not going to buy it all at once. But to grow um, to grow the portfolio over time is the key. And at that point, you can decide what you want to do from there and, and assess. The other thing I'll bring up, one of the benefits. Because think about this as you as you as you all decide of what's important. One of the benefits of buying in a more appreciating asset is this, and which is usually the Bay Area, is when it comes time to want to sell it, as an investor, you have the process, which is called 1031 exchange. You can sell it from a investment property uh, into another investment property and roll over any taxes, any gains, so you're not paying taxes or gains. Now, why is that very important? Why is appreciation very important? Here's the reason. Think about this. Think about your own portfolio of stock. Let's take you have two examples. Let's look at Procter and Gamble, and let's look at Tesla as an example. You have two choices. You can put ten thousand dollars in either of them. So let's say you put ten thousand dollars in, and then Procter and Gamble. I'm not sure what the dividend is now. Maybe four, three, four percent, whatever it may be. So. That is, that is something you're going to get each year. But the appreciation of it, because it's not really growing much, is a little bit more capped. Let's say it's 3 4%, whatever it is. Now, Tesla was growing very quickly and had like really big, big growth, like multiple times. Now, I'm not saying Bay Area Real Estate is like that, but this is just an example, right? Let's say they had a, a very big gain and they were going at 30%, uh, 30% uh, a year, which they were. And as, a, as an example... So the key of that example, though, is over a time period, depending on what that time duration is, you can think about that, right? Because you could have then sold that Tesla stock, as an example, to buy multiple more of that Procter & Gamble than, than the time it took to just recapture the dividends and just and buy more Procter & Gamble from just those dividends reinvested. Hopefully that kind of makes sense because that's a very clear example. That's why a lot of people buy also in these appreciation markets because just because of a place cash flows and can pay off the property, that's one measurement. But if it appreciates a lot, you can ultimately buy multiple of those properties potentially faster. Now, it all depends on time, right? Um, it depends on the market, it depends on time, but those are also things to consider. So there are many people that, that continue to trade up, right? Like they can sell a Palo Alto home. Now they can sell that $3 million home. They can buy some massive cash flowing apartment in Texas or wherever. It doesn't really matter, right? And now cash flow like crazy, but they, but it was a lot more, it was, it was a better investment for them to just have bought that home to do that exchange than just buying that complex 
and just letting the cash flow roll into it, right? So at the end of the day, that's like part of the equation of the strategy that not as many people are factoring, but it's a it's a real, evidently a real thing uh, when it comes to uh, the decision. Uh, I have a I have a question from Pooh Bunny on on YouTube. Spencer, would you be please be able to talk about how the value of the eighties are assessed during sale? So. Very important and good question. Thank you for asking. So when it comes to in-law units, in-law units are still permitted space. So on the square footage of it, it's correct to have, you can, and there's different people label it. In the MLS right now, they don't really have a, um, at least publicly, not a very clear and easy way to separate them just yet. Um, there will be ways, but, but not right now because it's such a small proportion. Most people just add the main unit, plus the square foot the square foot of the in-law unit. Granted, it's done with permits. So it's a total amount. So the reality of the total value is the total value is just like comparing it to another similar property that might be a big house. Let's say, let's say your house, let's just do some examples. A house is 2,000 square foot, 500 square foot ADU, and a neighboring house is 2,500 square foot ADU, or 2,500 square foot house. So just add it together. The valuation is it is still a little bit subjective in terms of uh like is it exactly the same as a 2500 square foot i wouldn't say it's exactly i would say if it can be done with the right layout the expansion of the house is still more valuable than the two pieces but it also depends on the buyer right a lot of buyers may say look i want to use that in-law unit it's nicer that it's separate because I can either have my in-laws live in it, I can have it used as just a rental to offset my mortgage, and it's like separated enough, right? So you have a few of these uh, choices that the buyer will make. And there's a lot more um, multifamily generations that continue to be in the Bay Area, especially as we have more and more kids, and we need you know grandparents to come back to take care of them. Um, so the valuation tends to be uh, fairly similar now, and it's we'll see how it plays out over time. But for now, it's actually fairly similar in terms of how one is assessed, which is pretty much the price per square foot if you're to do the expansion. Now, one other small thing when you have a bigger home, your price per square foot drops, right? And the reason why it drops, just like I mentioned in the beginning, there's always a band of prices for homes, so you can't just be like, This is a 2000. If this is a 2000, uh, 2000 uh, per square foot home. That's a thousand square feet. If I add another thousand square feet, I'm gonna, it's going to be 2000 times 2000. No, that's not how it works. As it gets bigger, the, the price per square foot drops, but it's still typically a lot more than the cost of building, which may be the 350, 400 per square foot, whatever it may be, depending on area. So that's how the, that's how the game and that's how the math works. Okay, we're, we're getting very close to our time. We have one minute left. Is there any other final questions? Otherwise, we will wrap up. Thank you for the questions. Um, thank you for the questions. And uh, I appreciate you guys all tuning in on a Tuesday evening. What do you think to buy an investment property in Sacramento area, duplex or quadplex? And this is a question from Harris. So a very interesting question, Harris. If you actually, so I actually sold a duplex out in Sacramento. Uh, and so I'm very familiar, familiar with the numbers there. What's really interesting is the Sacramento um, uh, duplexes and, and numbers aren't actually that much better than like places like Contra Costa County, like even in Antioch, 
Uh, really interesting. And it'd be, it's because when you're actually going that far out now, we have to reassess everything. Like we have to reassess the value of homes. We have to reassess the, the range of rents. Because the Bay Area has pretty good rents, uh, the numbers can still work. And in Sacramento, actually, depending on the area, like the area that I sold wasn't like a, a, a class A area. It was maybe a, a class B or C. For those that you know of labeling, it's just more like neighborhood types and, and condition. Um, the numbers weren't actually better than like the place in Antioch. So it's a, it's, a, it's a viable place. My team can certainly still help you if you want to venture out there. The cost is cheaper. So there is that benefit. The cost is cheaper. But the the rent to uh, the rent to the value of the home isn't um, wasn't necessarily better, but it is a cheaper place. So uh, if you have less money that you can invest in, and then that may be an option, right? You look in those areas. You look in like uh, Stockton, Modesto, like those are all like the neighboring cities um, from the Bay Area. Well, like Rancho Cordoba, Folsom, those are nicer areas relative. I actually sold a place in like uh, uh, near like, I think it's near Sac State. I think that's where it was. Kind of the east place, east of Sacramento by the river. And so um, Rancho Cordova and things like that, Folsom probably actually be even worse numbers because they're nicer. The nicer it is, the numbers from a cash flow should be worse, but they're still pretty good areas. Um, but the question and the concern is those areas also are a little bit newer relative to other areas. And so there may be even an issue finding a multifamily because a lot of multifamily is, is really on um, older places, right? A lot of multifamily is built in the 60s, 70s, even earlier. So if they tend to be newer areas or newer places, they may actually have way less because they never were able to build it because they're not going to build that ever again. Uh, so there is that. Question from Nathan, how much should I expect to pay a property manager? Good question. So it depends on the area. Um, generally in the Bay Area, you're looking at six to 8% uh, if you're going to pay them monthly to manage it. So some people choose to do it themselves. Uh, some people use myself to just lease it and others use a property manager to lease and to manage. Uh, are they generally very reliable? It's just like anything else. What you want to do is you want to uh, interview a few of them. There's a few good um, questions and articles that you want to do. Just like anything else, you want to interview a few of them. Make sure you at least have two good property manager candidates for an area. And then that gives you the confidence that, hey, look, if one of them doesn't work out, you have another to swap with. And then the reality of anything, right? A lot of them can talk well. You, you got to ultimately do it. And that's part of the whole journey that we're all going through as an investor, right? We want to learn about these things, but we also want to, you can, you can do all this research, the best learnings and the best research is when you're actually doing it right so when you're actually you had your numbers before and now you're actually doing it now you can see how do those how did those go how's the experience you want to ramp up you want to sell ramp down like that's the best way to learn to really learn is actually by doing and so that's the, the advice there Good question related to that playbook of that. Um, no, but we can connect separately. Just send me a text and then we can connect separately. Actually, send me a text. Let me send you, Bigger Pockets has this kind of questionnaire thing. Now, I would, I would definitely not suggest you 
uh, ask all of those because like even someone like yourself would never answer all that because it's like 50 questions but some of them are maybe like uh, important to you so you review that and then at the end of the day do you feel comfortable with that person like you won't know what you don't know but do you trust them to figure out the right decisions just like people fortunately are working with me they trust me on helping them understand and uncovering what they should be uncovering and what they should be looking around right and same thing as a property manager right i mean there's so many things you, sh you can ask you feel comfortable and so there's a few questions just to hear the response if you feel comfortable then move forward and go with it all right i'll give you guys back the rest of your evening thanks for hopping on i uh this recording will also be on youtube so follow me on youtube uh, or subscribe to my channel and of course if there's any conversations that we can have leave a call uh call or text or send me an email and i'll see you on my next shows bye now